Welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. We hope that it helps you become a strong and passionate follower of Jesus Christ. For more information, you can head to our website at www.hillschurch.com.au. Enjoy this week's message. Just, you are going to get an insight into my weird and wacky brain this morning. Is that okay? It's strange, so just go with me. Um, Back in January, I started processing, it was the theme for the year, and I didn't realise at this point in time that's the theme for this year, um, faith, but most, like, more specifically, childlike faith. What does it mean to have childlike faith? Luke 18, 16 to 17 says, But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. My brain starts processing childlike faith. Now I've got a lot of children in my world. I don't have my own, but I have nephews and a niece and I teach children five days a week. And kids ask a lot of questions. Who's got kids? Who knows how many questions they can ask in a day? You can't count them. And A common question I hear starts, well, it's not a common question, but common beginning to a question. It's two little words. What if? Now, I'll say to my nephews, eat all of your dinner and then you can have dessert. And I get a, what if I just eat this much? Can I have dessert after that? Yep. Um, Just some examples of what if questions I've heard at school in the last two weeks. What if you were a dog? What if I could teleport? That was a little kid. What if swords could shoot? This is my favourite. What if the zombie apocalypse actually happened? That was one of my grade sixes. I've noticed that the what if questions alter as the kids get older. The younger they are, the more innocent they are, the more they are filled with awe and wonder. The what ifs are more positive. We get older, we get more jaded with the world. Fear creeps in and our what ifs are more guided by fear. Anyone notice that? Yeah. I'm often bombarded with what if questions when preparing students for something different like an excursion or a fire drill. And I remember this one time, actually that's where the zombie apocalypse question came from, preparing them for a fire drill. Um, I remember this one time getting so frustrated because the what if questions were getting beyond ridiculous preparing the students for this excursion. I just stopped and I went, I know what I'm doing. Do you trust me? And as I'm remembering this, the Holy Spirit just went tap, tap, tap. I know what I'm doing. Do you trust me? And there's our challenge. Am I partnering my what if questions with fear? Or am I partnering them, facing my fear and partnering my what ifs with faith in a powerful God? Now, a little insight into Bible lessons happening in my classroom this term. We're looking at who God is and who he designed humanity to be. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what went wrong. There was a point in time, something went wrong. And I posed the question to my class that we've all heard at some point or even asked at some point, if God is so good, 
Why is there bad in the world? Anyone heard that one? Mm. And I left it open to the students to respond. And there were two main responses that I got. The first one was, so that God can show how awesome he is. Or so God could test us. I asked if they thought God caused the bad things and they hesitantly said yes, which doesn't sit right with me. I don't know about you, but that is not who my God is. My God is good and only good can come from him. So I asked them a follow-up question. Said, can anything bad come from God? And they looked a bit confused I didn't want to answer that one. So I asked them, when did bad enter the world? Oh, very quickly. Um, When Satan got kicked out of heaven. Right. Is that when bad started for humans? And they're kind of looking at me going, yes. So I'll rephrase it. When did bad things, when did things go bad for humans? And the light went on. They went, oh, when they ate the fruit. Okay, great. Yes, when they doubted God's word and stopped trusting him. That's when the bad entered. So I was then able to talk them through how we were created in God's image and he created us with a free will, otherwise we'd be robots. Grade six language. Um, He put humanity in charge of the earth which means he can't just do stuff. He partners with us. We partner with him to bring his glory here on earth. Um, Otherwise, we wouldn't have free will. He does want to partner with us, though, and that's called prayer. So thinking through all this, my brain started going to all these other Bible what-ifs. What if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten that fruit? What if they'd believed God and were secure in who he said they were. What if Jonah had gone straight to Nineveh and obeyed straight away? What if Moses had spoken to the rock like he was told to do instead of whacking it? What if Samson hadn't given in to temptation? What if Abraham hadn't noticed the lamb or the the ram in the thicket? That's a big what if. What if Sarah had believed straight away the word of God that she would be the one to bear the child? What if Jacob, I like this one, what if Jacob, when he was dreaming about heaven, had actually climbed the ladder and gone up into heaven? I wouldn't mind doing that. So many what-if Bible questions. And I know these stories serve a purpose. There's a reason that they're in the Bible. God wants to show us that he will use us as flawed human beings. He will work in us and through us. What if I partner with that? What if I fully, we, fully trusted him and his nature and we were obedient straight away? What if I partner my expectations with who I know God is? Now, we live in a fallen world. There is sin, there is fear, there is anxiety. But we have a choice when we're faced with these things to either partner with it or partner with God. Romans 8.28, any manifest fans here? Um, says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I look at this and I go, okay, my job is to love God. Our job is to love God. His job is to then work things around for good. 
I just have to fix my eyes on him. Now, I've got a hugely active imagination and it runs to the extreme what-if sometimes. When I was working in South Melbourne, I'd be driving along the Eastern Freeway, peak hour traffic, and inevitably I would get stuck in the Eastern car park on the bridge waiting for lights to change. And I don't know how many times sitting on this bridge in the car, the thought crosses my mind, what if someone decided to blow the bridge up right now? Am I the only one that thinks like this? <laughs> I told you I have a weird brain. Um, and I would have to talk myself down from these anxious thoughts of, oh my goodness, what would happen? And go, hang on, who's God here? If it did happen, great, I'm in heaven. Um, dear Lord Jesus, if anyone's planning it, please stop it. I can allow my thought process to go down the anxious path or I can allow my thought process to go, God, you're good. You're here with me. I get to choose. We get to choose the direction that our brain goes. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 7 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, love that word. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now I look at these verses and I see three realms that we can partner with. First one is the world. And the Greek word in the scripture is cosmos. And this means the inhabitants of the ground. That's us. But it particularly talks about worldly thinking. So we can partner with our thoughts with how does the world think here. The second one is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and it's a phrase used in the New Testament to refer to Satan. Another way we could go. And then Jesus. So the cosmos and the ruler of the kingdom of the air were before Christ. Now we've got Jesus. As Christians, we're called to be seated, where? Heavenly places. Not stuck on earth or in evil thought patterns where we were before we encountered Christ. Verse 6 and 7, let's read them again. And Christ raised us up with, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be seated in heavenly realms with Christ? We are away from the world. And we're in a place where he can show us his grace and how rich his grace and mercy are. What if we saw everything the way that God saw it? He invites us to be with him so that we can see things from his perspective. But in order to do that, we need to know him. We need to know his nature and his character. Now, we're just going to go through, well, it's a few. It's a lot, but it's a few. Um, 
things of, things of God, character qualities of God. And there's verses attached, but we're not going to read all the verses right now. We'd be here till tomorrow. God is love. And that 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, if you want to look at what love is, talks about what is love. It's patient, kind. God is full of compassion and mercy. God is gracious and righteous. God is light. In him there is no darkness. God is creative. Just look around the room. God is everlasting. He is perfect. God is a generational God. God is good, always good. God is awesome and wonderful. God sees you as valuable, everyone. God is a God of justice. God is forgiving. God has good plans for us. And the final one on my list, but definitely not the final one, God is immeasurable. What if we partner our what-ifs with God? This is an ongoing learning curve for me, for all of us. Um, I'm the middle of five children, which means my house growing up was very loud. And I was always surrounded by people. And when I got my license and finally it's like, yes, I can get out on my own, I encountered some of the most gripping anxiety I think I'd ever had until that point. So much fear around doing things on my own. Need to go down to the shops. What if, remember I've got a weird brain, what if I got kidnapped at the shops? What if I get lost driving somewhere? And my mum, who was studying psychology at the time, she practised some strategies with me. She helped me process some of these what ifs by thinking through to the worst case scenario, what would I do? Okay, if that did happen, what would you do? It's a great little trick if you suffer from anxiety. Um, and it did help, but it didn't fix it. And it's only as I've grown in my relationship with God and my understanding of his character that my what if started changing. What if God wants me to encounter someone at the shops? I started doing treasure hunts. It's like, God, show me who you want me to talk to, even if it's just a smile. Someone needs a smile today. What if he wants to show me something amazing as I'm driving? I might need to go a roundabout way to see it. I am learning to arrest the anxiety and ask God how he sees the situation. I have a favourite verse in Revelation, chapter 4, verse 1. And this is after God gives the message to the seven churches. He has an invitation to John. And it says, After this I looked up, and there before me was a door, standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. In a time where the world is so uncertain, we don't know who to believe, we don't know where to look, who to listen to, we have a God who says, Come up here. Come nestling close to him. Remember who he is and see things from his point of view. So for all the overthinkers in the room like me and those who aren't overthinkers and you want some tips, um, 
here's some steps that we can take to partner with the what-ifs of God. The first one, take every thought captive. You've got to arrest the thought patterns. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When we notice our thoughts heading down the fear what-if path, we need to ask ourselves, does this thought line up with who God is? If we get worried about a family member, a friend, ask God, how does he see the situation? And then pray according to that truth. Remember, he's good. He works things together for good. So take every thought captive. The next one, remember. Bring to mind the wonderful things that God has done in the past in your world, in the lives of others. And there's so much power in a testimony. Testimony is an invitation for God to do it again. If you're struggling, find someone else who has faith, borrow their faith, the power in community. So take every thought captive. Remember. Third point, thanksgiving. One of my all-time favourite Bible passages is Philippians 4. Verses 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving refocuses our thoughts. It takes them off our situation and puts them onto a powerful God. It arrests the negativity, the anxiety. And we fix our eyes on Jesus. And the final one, ask God to show you His view. I came across this quote by Dr. Dan Allender. It says, God's plan becomes completely clear only from the vantage point of heaven. So what if we looked from heaven's perspective all the time? What if we allow that childlike awe and wonder to guide our thought life? How do love and grace look at that person who rubs us up the wrong way? How would love and grace respond to that person? I've heard someone refer to those people as our grace growers. We learn grace by dealing with people. When anxiety comes calling, what does partnering our what-ifs with awe and wonder look like, feel like, sound like? What if, as we watch the news, we partner our prayers with a wonderful God and we bring Him into situations that we see around us? So my question for us all, myself included, what are we partnering our what-ifs with? Can we be childlike in our faith, in our awe and wonder, and remember who God is? Can I pray? Lord God, we come close to You. We choose to fix our attention on You, fix our eyes on You. We thank you that you love us, that you are good. We thank you that your plans for us are good. 
And if they're not good, if we're not seeing good, we know that you're not finished. So God, would you help us to see more of who you are? God, those of us that have anxieties right now, God, help us to see your what ifs, to see them through your eyes of wonder and awe and goodness and faithfulness. Remind us of who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name.